Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. The reading today comes from Psalm chapter 14. This is a psalm of David. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version this morning. The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. So when we read this psalm many times, and I've done this myself, we use this psalm to refer to atheist, overt atheism like we see in the 21st century. You know, this type of God-denying, Richard Dawkins worshiping materialistic atheism that we see in America today. That's not what David's talking about. Of course, we should be alarmed at atheism. It should be something that should concern us, that we should push back against because we know there is a God. It's a fool. It's a foolish thing to say that there is no God. David does say that. It's really folly to say that. You could have, you know, a PhD and be published and be well-liked in the scientific community, but if you say there is no God, then you're a fool. There's no way around that. That's what Scripture teaches, and that is true because you see how it just leads to the the, the folly and the foolishness. I think of people like Watson and Crick. You have these guys that discovered the, the structure of DNA. Brilliant men. But Crick was theorizing how life came to be on earth. And he made this proposal that maybe aliens somehow seeded the DNA or did something to help augment the evolutionary process of, of man. And you think that is foolish when you consider it. You know, we could look at Occam's razor and say, you know, the obvious thing is God did it, that there was an intelligent designer. So it is foolish sometimes when you look at atheists. But that's really not what David's talking about. David's talking about covenant members of the community. He's talking about people that look like they had the outward trappings of covenant faith. These would be covenant members of Israel. Maybe they're going to the temple. Maybe they're doing sacrifices and doing those kinds of things. But in their heart, in their secret time alone, they are saying, I don't believe in God. Or maybe they're leaving, living their lives as virtual atheists. And that's kind of the, the phrase I would use for this song. Virtual atheism is what David's talking about. You would look at them. In, in our day and time, it would be people that go to church. They sing songs. They go to class. Uh, they attend small group meetings at their church. They look like they are believers. But in their heart, in their private life, a type of soul rot is occurring where they really don't believe in God anymore. Their prayer life is, is really non-existent. Their personal devotional life has ended. And so this slow rot has continued and this turning away from Christ has started. And it started probably in an incremental way, in a slow drift, but now has become atheism in their heart. And it will not be long before their actions will reveal what's happening in their heart. Jesus says that is a, a true principle, a spiritual law, so to speak, that what is in the inside of you is going to come out. People will see it. Their deeds will become abominable. 
And so you have this almost depravity of this person that's spoken of. God looks down from heaven and says, you know, we're all ignorant. As you look at human beings, all have turned aside. All have become corrupt. No one's doing good, not even one. Now, I do think David is using hyperbole here. There are righteous people, that's for sure. There are people that follow God's law and they they try to please God in what they do. But this comprehensive nature, it seems, of, of evil, there is something to that. That sometimes it seems that evil is going to prevail. And when people start to say in their heart that they don't believe in God, it leads to evil and abominable deeds. And what typically happens with evil, if you look at it in the world, even in the history of the world, evil in and of itself cannot be content just to mind its own business. Evil tends to attack the good. Evil tries to devour the righteous, as we see in verse 4. They try to eat up God's people as they're eating bread. Maybe you've read the book by Eric Metaxas on Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer wrote the book Cost of Discipleship. He was killed by the Nazis. But as you read that book, you realize the Nazi party, the Nazi regime, was not content in their own evil. They were going to go after the church. They were going to go after the confessing church of Germany. So they persecuted anyone that stood in their way, especially people of righteousness, people that claimed there was an authority greater than the Nazi party. They went after those people. And that's how evil works. Evil will rarely stay in its own lane. Evil will come after good and try to devour the righteous. But they will find out really quick, as in verse 5, there's a God amidst the righteous. There's a God amongst his people. And this God is indigestible. You're not going to devour this God. Your plans will be thwarted. And so we see in this psalm this really chilling concept of virtual atheism. A person who's going through the motions, a person that looks like maybe a vibrant Christian. They could even be in a pulpit, actually. But in their heart, this drift started a long time ago. And now they're living their life basically as, as if there is no God. There's no prayer life. There's no dependence on God for provision in life. No dependence on God or obedience to God's faithful, good command. So this psalm is a lot more difficult than what we give it credit for. At first you read it and you feel pretty triumphant. and You go, man, let's get those atheists. You know, those people, they're foolish because they claim there is no God. But actually David is saying this is something a little bit more sinister, more hidden. And this is happening in your churches. It's not out there in the university science departments, especially departments of biology. It's not happening in those places. It's happening in your churches, maybe among your church leadership. It's a warning to all of us, really, that slow drift can happen. And it can take you to a point to where maybe you're a virtual atheist. So that's what this psalm is about. Now, it's interesting that Paul quotes from this psalm. He quotes... You probably recognize some of the words of this psalm because in Romans 3, 9 through 12, Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. So Paul uses this passage to build the case for universal sin, that all people, both Jew and Gentile alike, are, are sinners and all are in need of grace. And so when we think about the righteous in this passage, really what we know is Christians looking back with resurrection hindsight and the cross, 
we realize that the righteous are ones that are made righteous in Christ, that without Jesus, we're all sinners. We're all unrighteous. We all do not seek after God unless we've received the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. We've been transformed by a spirit. That's who the righteous are, those who have received the righteousness of Jesus, the work that he's done on the cross, and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we can look back at this psalm and realize that, hey, we've heard this before. Paul picks up this language and uses it in the book of Romans for his case for the universal nature of sin. And so we can marvel at that and go, thanks be to God for the gospel. Thanks be to God that I've been saved, that I've been given this gift of salvation. And I love how this psalm ends when you think about the triumphal nature of this psalm. You've got there at the end where God is going to triumph. The Bible has a pattern about it, if you've noticed. There's a pattern of revival in Scripture. And a lot of times it begins with death and then comes resurrection, defeat, and then inexplicably victory. Terrible darkness, then you catastrophe, a good catastrophe. Cross, agonizing death, and then life from death. Salvation comes from Zion, as David has told us. And it always looks to the eye of unbelief right before it happens that this is entirely impossible. Isn't that how scripture works? God comes to the rescue at just the right moment. It looks like things are just not going to work out. But with God, they're always going to work out. Think of the guards outside the tomb of Christ. They're probably leaning up against the wall. They were probably resting and not thinking about what was about to happen. And boy, were they shocked when Christ burst forth from the grave. So it's necessary to remember that God is going to be victorious, that God will vindicate. And when he does, our proper response is to have joy and to worship him. Well, I appreciate you guys tuning in today on this Thanksgiving week. Uh, I just encourage you to be thankful for all the things God's done for us. As you contemplate and look back on this last year, it's been a difficult year for a lot of people, and I understand that. But we have a lot to be thankful for, even in the difficulty and the sickness of of this year, of 2020. uh, The political division, the horrible things that we've seen happen in this country, we still have so much to be thankful for. And so our charge as Christians is to be thankful, to give praise to God this week. Well, I hope you continue with us. We're going to have podcasts all week, even though it's Thanksgiving week. We're going to keep rolling through scripture. That's not going to end. So I encourage you to join us for the rest of our podcast through the rest of this week.